and welcome to Crafting a Revolution, the podcast. My name is Katie Freeman, and I'm one of your hosts. Every week, we bring you interviews with makers and artists of all kinds from all over the world that identify as female, non-binary, or transgender. Today's guest is really a guest revisited. Her name is Laura Mays. She has a degree in architecture from Universal College Dublin and a higher certificate in furniture design and manufacture from GMIT Letterfrack. She followed that with two years on the fine woodworking program in College of the Redwoods in California. Laura completed an MA in industrial design at the National College of Art and Design in Dublin. Since 2011, Laura has been the program director of the Fine Woodworking Program at the Krenov School in Northern California. She is the founding president of the Krenov Foundation, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to support the craft of fine woodworking in Northern California by conducting educational programs and providing material and financial support to individuals and institutions in that field. I previously had Laura on back in October of 2019, I think we ended up deciding on, um, right before she was going to be putting on a show um, jointly, putting on a show called uh, Making a Seat uh, that highlighted, I think 10 artists, uh, female artists in wood. Um, So it was right before that, that I had a chance to talk with her. And I reached back out to her because I wanted to see what was new, what's going on now, where are things at now, um, after the pandemic, um, after so much around um, just equity and craft going on over the last three years. um, I thought it was great to reach back out to her and get to chat with her. Before heading into the conversation with Laura, I want to give a shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much, Matthew from Artigiano Serio, uh, for being our big main sponsor right now. Candice of CJ Woodgrain, Lee at Lee Brunyan, Net513 Woodworks, Katie Thompson, Women of Woodworking, Kevin Lefty's Woodshop, Christy Twisted Twine, Jeremy Jeremy Spies, Sammy, Go Sammy Lee, Rachel, Moody Makes, Laura, Oakley Soap Company, Brandy, Studio, Obey, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your continued support, uh, really making this podcast happen every week. Also, uh, before hopping into the conversation, I just wanted to let everyone know um, I will be out on vacation with my family. So this will be the only episode for this week. We will be skipping next week entirely and be back with the next new brand new episode on Wednesday, the 17th. Um, But I always encourage you to go back, listen to past episodes and get to know um, the makers and artists that you admire better. All right, let's head on into the conversation with Laura Mays. Um, well, I want to start since, you know, there's a chance that maybe somebody didn't listen to the earlier episode and give you a chance to um, introduce yourself again. Would you do that for me? Sure. Um, my name is Laura Mays and I'm a woodworker and an educator in uh, Northern California, Fort Bragg. Um, I'm from Ireland originally um, for the past 11 years. I'm going to have to update that every year. 11 years, I've been the uh, director at the Krenov School, which is formerly the College of the Redwoods, um, the woodworking program there. Mm-hmm. I still have it on my bucket list to, at the very least, take a chair making class from you. Like, I really want to do that. Um, maybe, yeah retirement's way too far off for me. I was going to say, maybe in retirement, I can come take some classes. At <laughs> yeah, well, we'll be here. <laughs> maybe you should make, try a little sooner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember woodworkers never retire. I don't this think. is true. This is true. Yeah. And I saw recently, well, semi-recently, I guess you went to Penland did you were you teaching or taking a class there um I was teaching that was last summer that was last 
June. It was just in that little window of the pandemic when we all thought everything was going to get better. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out we were wrong. But anyway, um, it was, yeah, that was an amazing experience. It was so good. Was that your first time to Penland? Yes. My first time in a southern state. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And I was just so astounded at how beautiful it was. I just couldn't uh, believe it. I mean, yeah. that was one of the things was that just it was so gorgeous there. Um, and then um, such a good environment there. It was mm -hmm. just uh, great. I, I didn't realize how much I would appreciate being around other crafts and other mm -hmm. disciplines and people as engage, equally as, as kind of, you know, nerdy about yeah. whatever it was that they were doing. Right. <laughs> making or printing or glass or clay or whatever. Um, as, as the wood people are. I've just been around wood people for so much. I was like, why would I want to talk to anybody else? But, <laughs> and, uh, and I did. <laughs> uh, that's actually one of the things that I love about having a podcast is getting to talk to people who are like super passionate about what whatever medium they're in. Mm -hmm. um, and Penland is also one of those places that I really, I want to take... Uh, some classes there, but I do hope eventually someday I will get to teach some classes there as well. Mm. It's on my list. Um, so last time I chatted with you was, I want to say it was like the spring of the year that making a seat was done, which was done in the fall, correct? I think it was like October. Yeah, it, it started in, I think, October of 2019 and then yeah. ran into... Jan January I think of 2020 um I know because then that you know yeah March 2020 is a date I can actually remember right <laughs> <laughs> I agree <laughs> that's when everything shut down right that's when um, everything changed yeah yes. so um yeah it ran just up to the pandemic and um yeah in the center how, of our wood in Philadelphia yeah how was that experience and maybe how is that experience looking back at it now compared to the uh, altered universe we live in now? Uh, well, one of the things was there was just so many uh, kind of like parties or not exactly yeah. parties, but there was like an opening for the show. And I, in fact, the opening for the show, I think, was one of the most um, moving sort of occasions of mm -hmm. um, it sounds a little dramatic, but to, to say on my life, <laughs> yeah. um, it was a very moving occasion. There were so many women gathered together and um, their supporters and mm -hmm. all, all kinds um, and, and uh, non-conforming, uh, gender non-conforming people. Um, mm -hmm. And it, there was just a very much uh, celebration of the work that was there. Uh, I've got a poster there on the wall behind me. Yep. Um, uh, <laughs> well, the, the work was so um, gorgeous and like diverse and amazing and so were the people and it felt very much like this big kind of uh, celebration and almost like a change happening or something you know mm -hmm. like there were here were all these great people you know um, mm -hmm. these great woodworkers um, yeah it was it was very moving do you think there's going to be room for more of that? You know, at the time, I thought so. I thought, well, you know, you know, it's not like we were going to go for an annual event or anything like that. But right. it's, I feel almost like the world has moved on. on well, it has, clearly. But, um, mm -hmm. but I wonder if it's moved on from that as its kind of chief concern, even, um, mm -hmm. in, the, in the world of woodworking. Um, I, I feel like gender is almost the easiest problem to solve <laughs> i would agree with that yeah but it's um the yeah. easier problem and um i think that uh kind of race and kind of i mean i know it's not a word that's used as much over in over here but you know class or kind yeah. of socioeconomic um diversity is is really lacking and also just a kind of a question of what it is we're doing because mm -hmm. I think that that is tied in with like who is doing woodworking it's like why we're doing it and um, what we're doing <laughs> and things like that so I think I think those are really interesting and I also think I mean clearly we need a planet on which to do woodworking yeah so that is uh, kind of like <laughs> maybe that is the most 
pressing yep. issue at all. Have you in the circles that you've been in, have there been conversations about how like as a woodworker, we can contribute to, you know, churning the tide of, of kind of climate crisis type stuff or how we interact with that, you know, specific issue? Um, no, not really, actually. Um, I think there's a kind of, maybe there's a kind of assumption that we um, are kind of on the, we're kind of the good guys. Mm. But I, I, I don't agree with that assumption, really. I think that because we're part of the world, yeah. <laughs> part of the problem, you know. <laughs> um, a, 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 something that I've become really, uh, a group that I've become very fascinated by is a, a former phantasma. Sorry, I'm looking for the catalog. I know. Yeah, no problem. Because right I, oh, I don't know where it is now. Um, it's usually right beside me, so I can pull it out. Um, uh, a, a Italian design duo who um, designed a show in, um, I think it was first in London and, and has moved around a bit, um, about the kind of wood, the timber industry, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I know that uh, the kind of woodworkers we are, we're hardly even involved in the timber industry because the amount right. we use is minuscule. But insofar as we are, um, that is the kind of like, that's the material that we use. Right. Um, and uh, it's, um, they describe it at one point as like so big that you actually can't see it. Like it's so, um, it's so <laughs> much kind of embedded that it's actually difficult to see because it's so huge. It's like you can't right. see the thing that is around you, you know? And um, the, uh, yeah, the timber industry is, is just massive and, and, deeply implicated in so much of the uh, so many of the problems I also just read a book called Mahogany which mm -hmm. is Mahogany um, and it's also um, you see how how kind of tied into all the uh, issues of the era so Mahogany you know was exploited in the yep. kind of 17th and 18th centuries um, yep. mostly um, so it's really uh, tied into you know colonialism and um, deep slavery and um, de deforestation and um, kind of just the things that were happening, timber is part of it. Yep. <laughs> Whatever's going on in the world, wood is part of it, you know, yeah. it's not actually uh, directly responsible. It's kind of like entangled. With mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been a material used for so much right it's been a material to your point that was used to build the ships that then colonized all of the other continents it was used to build the railway systems that were used to you know uh, slave labor basically <laughs> to build um so it's it's definitely there i think as a woodworker i've been trying to focus on like how what my role is, you know, directly in relation to the material that I use. And I know that at least personally, I pretty much source all of my lumber from urban lumber that's, you know, felled for disease or, you know, there's like a reason basically that that lumber was felled other than just the fact that like, oh, we're, we're clear cutting this area or we're whatever. Um, I'm a pretty, I've done that since the start, um, more than anything, just because I think there's also a story there of community and connecting to the local um, kind of environment, but then also researching and looking more and more into like, how do we reuse all that timber that we right now are just throwing into a landfill? Um, and there's several like designers, like furniture design companies that have sprung up just around that and reuse of material to create. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's, that's the direction we're gonna have to go. Um, especially since I don't think anybody has been talking about it, at least in my circles, the implications of like the most recent stuff that the U.S. has agreed to, like no more deforestation by 2030, mm -hmm. um, which in reality is not a lot of years away and it's a good thing, um, but that's going to include like timber industry. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know, I don't know if people understand like 
to your point, wood is so big, like all the things that are going to change because of that. Yeah, I, I hadn't, I, I, I should follow up on what you're talking about. I, I mean, one thing to kind of distinguish between is between softwoods and hardwoods. I mean, um, softwoods are so much in a way more um, used because of mm -hmm. their the use in the construction industry. Yep. Um, I some, uh, yeah, I like on a personal level, I feel like that's not going to impact the yeah. likes of us because <laughs> yeah. you know like you, we can we're kind of like scrappy and around the edges yeah. and, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and reusing is is gonna be fine you know because we yep. if you make smaller things you take bigger bits of wood and make them smaller yep. and um kind of like trees that are kind of like weeds almost mm -hmm. around here for you know redwoods are and doug fir are the commercial kind of crops yeah um and things like madrone and tan oak and Bay laurel and everything other kind of like the weeds that grow up in the understory and so the nobody wants them really so they're kind of available as yeah to be yeah used. well and again i've noticed too on some of the stuff you sh you're sharing that you've been doing more reuse just with your own home and the work you've been doing around there yeah uh, yeah well that was interesting because you know there i was happily uh pulling all this redwood out of my um house and then tested the paint on it and it turned out it had lead paint right. on it I, it totally freaked me out I just left it in the backyard for like three months while I kind of <laughs> like ah, what do I do and then I took it to the landfill I wasn't going to deal with it I, yeah. I did not want to go down the the route of um stripping it off with a chemical like people gave me lots and lots of really good suggestions yeah. and I'm sure that they would have kind of probably been fine but um stripping it off with chemicals or um cleaning it off or all kinds mm -hmm. of ways of getting rid of it but I just I I don't know maybe that's like my own kind of like luxury or something that I'd <laughs> be like no <laughs> but uh, around here there is actually so much redwood that is kind of just kind of floating around um <laughs> well sometimes literally but yeah you know I mean just kind of like in buildings that doesn't have paint on it I was like well I can just you know I can still use reused redwood but just not uh, some wood that's been painted. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was you, wasn't it, about the sinker logs? You point mm, yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah. We don't yeah. have redwood sinker logs around here, but we do still have quite a few that are in our rivers. Um, mm -hmm. but nobody's been pulling them up. And I wonder if yeah. it's because of what you said towards the end there about the disturbing of ecosystems that have now been built around those. Right. Yeah. Well, when I looked up sinker logs, you know, I just Googled sinker because yeah. I didn't, um, a lot came up from Maine, um, from all those trees, and um, also down in uh, Cyprus, um, mm -hmm. down in the southern states. Um, so, yeah, but I couldn't really tell how much it was going on kind of currently. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there is that, that at this point, they're pretty in, embedded, literally, in the, mm -hmm. in the um, soil of the river. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Although it was interesting when I talked to to the guy that I got it from Redwood yeah. Tony yeah <laughs> uh, he, you know his nemesis was this lawyer who um eventually managed to kind of get the state of California to stop them pulling this um wood out of the rivers on the basis of the habitat but before that the same lawyer had tried to stop them pulling the logs out on the basis of ownership and it made me think that the lawyer maybe had a just a thing that he didn't want these guys pulling the logs up right <laughs> And then was trying to find reasons for them not to do it. I have no idea. That's just, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> but he had first, uh, the lawyer had first tried to use the argument that these logs belonged to either the state of California. He tried that. But also maybe to the families of the loggers. Because yeah. loggers weren't paid until the log reached its destination. Which I don't mm -hmm. know if the destination was the mill or the ship or I don't know what right, kind of right. destination and therefore the descendants of the loggers should be being given the proceeds of these these trees these logs anyway I just thought it was interesting to see yeah. the, you know, the, the arguments that could be made about like ownership of these right logs. right right I guess I didn't realize because I thought like when I was in California I thought it was illegal to cut redwoods down no um it's not um it's illegal to cut down old growth redwoods but it's um there's quite a lot of logging of like second and at this point there's even third 
growth, you know? So these mm-hmm. trees that are like 40 years old or 60, whatever, you know, yeah. that are big enough at this point to be cut down. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, redwood is one of the construction materials around here. It's, um, it's slightly more expensive, but it's very, you know, because of its qualities, it's pretty yeah. used. Yeah, yeah. I guess maybe, yeah, maybe I'm thinking the old growth. Um, yeah. Because I had obtained a, a bit of old growth when I was there that was like one of those deals where it like naturally fell mm-hmm. on somebody's property. And so then they could mill it yeah. up at that point. Um, so I'd got captured it there. Um, I made a clock out of it. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, I don't understand anybody who would attempt to make furniture out of it because you look at it sideways and it dents. Or <laughs> yeah, you're like, I did nothing. A piece of dust landed on you. Right. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know it's it's bizarre and it's uh, yeah. qualities in that regard. It's also really hard to cut joinery in because it's so soft. And but um, yeah, I know. I'm like, how can you be a good construction material? I don't know. <laughs> yes, um, very good like strength to weight ratio. Yeah, yeah. Very good rot resistance. Yeah, it's not actually a great furniture wood by any means. Yeah, yeah. No, it is a good um, rot resistant, pest resistant. It's also pretty fire resistant. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah. So I all of that really makes it. How the uh, the 1906 um, San Francisco fire was almost like a marketing campaign for for, yep. for redwood <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because they noticed that the trees, the buildings that were built with uh, redwood construction were standing, whereas the other ones weren't. So it was yep. like, oh, we should build out of redwood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah we have the same issue with um cedar here in the midwest so in the sense of like lots of people like cedar wood benches and stuff like that and and that's one that i boggle my mind at again because it's like piece of dust lands on you and something happens to you and i don't like Mm -hmm. i've even tried carving cedar and the thing just like completely disintegrated like it just went yeah. <laughs> you know halfway through and I'm like what I didn't do anything to you so yeah mm-hmm. similar I'm not a fan of working with the softwoods we'll just say that mm-hmm. <laughs> they're hard I mean <laughs> they're not hard they're difficult they're yes <laughs> there you go <laughs> how do you source your your hardwoods then there in Cal- um well um at, at this point I, I mostly kind of um buy from the school um, and the school gets it well we've got uh, an amazing kind of like backlog so to speak gotcha. um, uh, inventory of wood that has been kind of gathered over the years but it gets replenished all the time and at this point people kind of um, come by this school sometimes and be like I've got a beautiful piece of Baylor I'll spy plank it up for you guys or because um, <laughs> there are these kind of like small scale millers yeah. up around here um, and you know when they find something nice they'll bring it over or we got an absolute kind of treasure trove of um, rosewood, which mm. is not something that I would have ever thought to use, and I haven't used it yet. But it was from um, a guy who who was retiring from woodworking. He was kind of like closing down his um, his shop, and he'd got mm. all this stuff in the 1980s when it was oh. legal to buy and sell rosewood, and he he just gave it to the school. So we got all this um, conscious road rosewood. Um, uh, so yeah, it just kind of like almost like lands on us. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, we have a, a graduate from from way back. He was actually in my class when I was a student, um, Martin Gobel, who's over in St. Louis, and um, he is a, a fairly well not large scale, but he, he turns over quite a lot of wood. And um, mm-hmm. one of the places he 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 gets urban lumber, and um, uh, he sometimes sends aside a few blanks. Um, so it just kind of like arrives to us <laughs> I mean sometimes I, I mean I really dislike going to lumber yards I remember yeah. back in the days when I went to lumber yards more I used I used to dread it I'd be like feeling kind of like sick for two days beforehand like I don't want to go I don't want to deal with the guys they're gonna be so rude and everything um and uh, yeah so I, I really <laughs> like the fact that I actually haven't been to a lumber yard in probably four or five years although having said that I did go to um Eden saw up in Port Townsend. I was just teaching up in Port Townsend in Washington um, a couple of weeks ago, and we went on a field trip 
to um, the lumber yard called Edensoil. And mm -hmm. um, absolutely amazing lumber yard. And they seemed like they had absolutely zero issues with um, helping women and helping people who wanted to buy a small amount of wood which is always the issue like yeah yeah for starters i only want to buy one or two planks and secondly i'm a woman so you know right. that, that was always the issue going to the wood yards it's like i don't know which of those is worse you know right. you, but it's like a double whammy <laughs> for you guys <laughs> um and um but eden saw seemed great so maybe lumber yards are changing i don't know i i, I think i do think it's a in a matter of where you're at and um, I mean, there's a couple local that, you know, I've gone to or smaller sawmills that I go to. And usually the number one issue is I pull up in a minivan. So I get like a look of like, you're in a minivan, like soccer mom. And I'm like, I can fit 10 foot boards in this thing. This thing rocks. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> uh, so that, you know, but usually once I throw out like four quarter or eight quarter, like a terminology that shows that I deserve, quote unquote, mm -hmm. deserve to be there, um, then I get a bit more respect. But yeah, usually that first, I would say you're not alone. Most people are of most non cis het white males don't enjoy going to a lumber yard. Yeah, when we did the <laughs> interviews for the Making a Seat at the Table book um, or show, or um, yeah, it was the lumber lumberyard was one of the kind of focuses of people's yep. um, kind of like frustration with the whole affair. Yeah, I would say there and then like, you know, the hardware stores or the, the tool stores. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it's one of those things that still drives me nuts. It's like it takes about three or four times for me to come in to a place and show that I know what I know and what I'm looking for to gain respect in that space. And I don't know, it's not fair, but it's also one of those things of like, okay, maybe you understanding this about me means you'll be nicer to the next like woman who walks in this place. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was going to say, I have a similar issue of things just showing up at my shop, but mine comes from like Sawyer's and, um, uh, oh, is it Arborist? The people who are cut down the trees. Oh yeah. 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 The Arborist. Well, that's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, so I just come home to like a present sitting outside <laughs> of my garage. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes people have bizarre ideas about what is useful. Sometimes people are like, you guys make small things and they'll bring over this like tiny piece of wood. I'm yeah. Like, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yeah, the book. So that came out during pandemic days. Um, yeah, that came out. Well, it was March this year, I think. Yeah. yeah, March 20th. Now, I mean, so Deidre was writing it, but you were helping, correct? Well, yeah, The um, up until I think the end of 2020, we were working on it together. Mm -hmm. um, and But that fall of 2020, so, we, so I went back to teaching full time um, in the fall of 20. It was it's, okay. it's just, you know, basically impossible yeah. to teach um, a kind of craft yeah. uh, online. So I went back to teaching, but I was the, oh, it was complicated, but I ended up being the only teacher <laughs> because we had a um, reduced number of students and reduced number of hours. Mm -hmm. um, so I was teaching kind of, it seemed like more than ever and we were wearing masks and we had all the windows open. So we were also like wearing all our, all of our clothes and um, uh, we all thought we were gonna die because it was right. before the vaccines. And, you know, it was very, it was a very stressful fall semester. And I was homeschooling my daughter. Well, um, or at least like plonking her in front of the yes. computer, <laughs> making sure that the, you know, the links were there and trying yeah. to like keep up with like printouts for her homework and everything. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it was just, it was just a crazy um, fall and I couldn't, um, I, I was like, okay, something's got to, something's got to go. You know, I can't, yeah. I can't keep this up. I was basically just, I wasn't even working on the book. I was just feeling right. guilty about not working. Right. Time. And it was like this burden of guilt was, was terrible <laughs> and I had to back out of the um, kind of joint authorship so Deirdre took the book um, onwards then to publication yeah that's awesome finished writing it yeah 
yeah really really worthwhile having in the world yeah yeah i feel like though kind of similar to our to my questioning about you know is making a seat gonna kind of continue on with a different show i wonder if like now it's like you jump right into like we need another book of what mm, maybe what we want craft to look like <laughs> and, and those who need to be represented in the in the fields yeah well another thing i discovered was that i don't actually enjoy writing that much <laughs> so, <laughs> someone could write that book but it's not going to be me i i think like instagram posts is about as it's about my uh my my form <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Or I guess um, I discovered about myself that uh, I'm not very good at researching. I, th I thought that writing would be kind of like design designing something. Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like I do have a, a reasonable process for designing a, an object um, of like, you know, keeping an open mind, but also trying to move forward. And, you know, just all mm -hmm. the things one goes through. And I, I figured that writing would somehow be the same. And, and it is kind of like analogous, but it's not it's not the same, but it, it, it's Yes. So it's not it's not directly transferable. In other words, if you're it didn't, it didn't make me into a good writer. I was not very good at keeping an open mind. I think um, I would like enter with a with an idea, and then and then you're just like, proving your idea, trying to prove your idea, trying to prove my ideas, which is exactly not what you're supposed to do, you know. And I feel like it's weird because I don't feel like I do that necessarily with a design. I feel like I'm quite willing to like you know do a give and take kind of in the in that process. Anyway, yeah, I, I I found I was not that, and it also didn't make me very happy. It wasn't a, a joyous activity for me, so. I think though too, like that book specifically, maybe because I know I remember in the conversation with you and, and Deidre was like, her aim a bit was to have it accessible like as a textbook, like so mm -hmm. there, is amount of research going into it versus maybe just the act of storytelling as mm -hmm. you or like whoever you're you know interviewing or talking to mm -hmm. might have um i could see that being a difference like i am 100 on board with like i don't know if i really want to spend hours upon hours of like researching to see like mm -hmm. where all the data takes me but i do enjoy the art of storytelling and I think mm -hmm. that that is what pulls me into the things that I read is mm -hmm. maybe less about well it was well researched versus it was a story well told mm -hmm. yeah 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 um which you get to do on Instagram to your point like <laughs> you get to tell the story is but the way you want to tell it <laughs> yeah <laughs> so crazy times that kind of you know 2020 teaching homeschooling your <laughs> homeschooling your daughter which bless you for doing that <laughs> I learned early on that was not going to be my path I was like we're finding whatever way we can for that oh, yeah to be I, my I path. mean you know luckily her school um did I think it was the spring of 21 then they stood they put up tents and they started to bring in the kids at like for two four hour stints a week into these tents and I mean they the tents blew away and they had to like you know everything uh, you know kind of everything yeah happened. yeah but they yeah. still kept on going I mean <laughs> and I her school was fantastic but um yeah it was that fall of 2020 was kind of like the not the worst but it was the it was hard none yeah. of us knew what, what was going on right you know? yeah exactly exactly it was quite high yes <laughs> Yes. Um, but since then, has Krenov kind of opened back up all full scale? Um, so we have kind of like crept up in the numbers. Um, the last year we had 13. So normally there are 23 students. Um, okay. We had 13 in the, the last academic year. We're going to have 18 in the next academic year. So we're still not okay. up to full numbers, um, which actually I think will you know, it might be kind of, well, when I look back at photographs of um, in the before times and I'm like, oh my God, we're all standing so close to each other. It's disgusting. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and we actually used to joke that it was like a Petri dish. You could actually like see a 
yeah, flu yeah. or a cold like go down the room right. and stuff like that I'm like mm, yeah well maybe let's just see how it goes with 18 um, right might be better of course the, you know we're part of the community college system and they get their money by um from the state by the number right. of students that are enrolled so at a certain point they're gonna be like uh, you guys need to I imagine they're going to be like you guys need to start taking in your full numbers again but they haven't done that so far so okay are you still the the lone teacher or no so i mean <laughs> under normal circumstances i am one of three in any given semester so i okay. um it's a 48 hour a week class and there's usually me and two part-time um instructors okay teaching those 48 hours okay gotcha Given how um, maybe we've all been refocused to, and I know I brought this up the last time we talked, but how do you see your, the students changing, the demographics of the students changing? Has that been a process of change? Uh, not nearly as much as I would have liked, actually. Mm -hmm. um, I feel I thought a kind of well let's see okay go back I think the last time we talked um, that year was the first year that we hit double digits in terms of women in the class yeah um, but as then so then we went into 2020 uh, whatever I don't know yeah. we, we dropped the next year and then we went into the pandemic you know then, yeah. then it became kind of pandemic intake and so it dropped for other reasons but we're I think this coming year we're going to be five out of the 18 which is still not very high. And um, uh, I don't know, I, I kind of thought like the soft approach of just having me as the director right, right. more of an influence. And I'm, it's kind of not, I don't think. Or maybe it's very, very slow. Um, yeah. I see that maybe I should, one has to be more explicit and direct about it, I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, just up in Port Townsend, and that school is quite explicit and direct in its um, kind of commitment to diversity. And still, a uh, uh, class that I taught was um, had one one woman in it. Um, the class that I taught up there, and it was on dovetailing. And I and I kind of wonder if dovetailing is so. <clears throat> well, it's maybe not like doesn't increase one's ability to earn money to yep. be able to cut dovetails. So it, so it's going to be people who are less concerned about their finances and mm -hmm. um so you know attracts a kind of rich retiree yes set, you know um would, you know yeah. lovely people lots of right. very nice people but it's just it's kind of it is a certain demographic and it's it's nice when one has diversity obviously yeah <laughs> talking about i think i mean i think you hit on something and Maybe I'm going to put you a little bit in the hot seat because you are in higher education and you brought, you mentioned earlier on something about class, which mm -hmm. we don't yeah. talk a lot about. And I think uh, maybe it's my privilege to see it from a wider perspective, given the, the range of people that I talk to from, I talk to, you know, DIY self-taught all the way across, you know, has a master's degree in like furniture design. Um, and I've noticed that there is kind of this still wide berth of divide of, and, and a classist feel of like, well, I went to higher education, therefore I'm better at this craft than somebody who's you know, self-taught or piece together a class here or a class there type thing. Um, do you think that there's room amongst maybe a place like Prenov or, you know, I, I want to say like maybe smaller kind of craft schools to open up and broaden in and pull in some of that maybe DIY uh, crowd? Um, yeah, I mean, in a way, I don't see a huge... I don't necessarily see it that there has to be a huge divide um I think it's more in a way like it's the kind of like it's one's friends and the circle that one moves in and yep, things like yep. that um I think what I'm most kind of what I think about is um making a living from mm -hmm. woodworking um and you know it's a kind of joke but it's actually not a joke that you know you 
you come to the Cranoff School and you actually your your productivity decreases. Yeah, because you've got to make things better. <laughs> you've got to take a lot more time doing it, and so it's not a um, it's not a kind of like a a good a good economic move. Yeah, you know, bottom line, don't don't want to like no not blow our cover, you know, um, but you're doing it for reasons that are not economic, and so yeah. uh, that's in itself a privilege. Um, yeah, a massive privilege to kind of like invest in oneself and all phrases like that. You know, life in enhancement and things like that um and yeah i think that is problematic really i mean it um you know all education is to some to some extent it's a kind of like delayed gratification i yeah. just don't know that, you know that you put off your 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 earning yeah years in order to um gain an education and and then if you're doing kind of arts edu- education it's hard to see the direct link yeah. but you do assume there will be some you know like putting in an education at this point will probably right. <laughs> really well in my life later but right. in, t- in woodworking terms it kind of doesn't make sense in some ways and that is yeah. hard for me to get my head around but I it means that we are attracting people who have a who are in a pretty financially secure situation yeah who can see that who who, who um feel that you know their in, increase in skills or their their exploration of this craft is like going to take precedence yeah. over their ability to make money and yeah I, that's that's where i see it Let, i mean maybe i'm just like i've sidestepped your question that is more no i no i mean i think i think you make a, a valuable point because i would say the which is funny to me or ironic perhaps that those that i've talked to that have especially like a, a like a master's degree you know or above still do not make their income predominantly on making the thing that they went to school to learn how to make Mm -hmm. they make it by so many other avenues predominantly teaching is usually well I mean I'm a prime example yeah yeah Yeah, you I mean it's like teaching it's um I don't know, running organizations, it's, you know, doing everything that, that still relates, but it's not directly like you make a good and you sell a good. Yep. However, those that have started on their own by doing DIY projects, especially around their own home and mm-hmm. just shared that on social media, I know some that are making six figure salaries off of what they make. Well, are they doing it off of what they make or is at this point are they kind of like you know youtube or um no uh, there are several that are making it solely off of the product mm-hmm. that they make that they're commissioned to make for others so their their hand work or their yeah, shop yes. work is actually generating well that's yeah. amazing that's great yeah <laughs> and i also <laughs> i also should just you know for for those people out there it, it's yeah. not like you can't you're not going to no no but I mean to be fair to be fair I think it is it is something to acknowledge and Mm. I think it's something we talk about in this field it Mm. is difficult to make a living just off of woodworking Mm -hmm. I think regardless of where you start in that you know journey Mm -hmm. I think it's just difficult I mean it's it's like my dream to do that I'm going to go get my master's degree to hopefully get there. But I also understand that that probably means I'm still going to have years after that, that I go into teaching to supplement what I make, Mm -hmm. because I understand that the real world doesn't usually work (laughs) the way of like, there's a endless population willing to just give you money to make things for them. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? Why doesn't it work that way? And where are you going to go to, uh, to, to do a master's um just my local university university of iowa um right yeah i'm starting in in a few weeks from now right yeah cool. yeah yeah and just i mean uh, just to turn the tables a little bit yeah. what are you hoping that you will um get from that yeah um excellent question one that the director of the program i'm going into has um and one of the things is i've found that it's really hard especially in design world so outside of just create making things out of wood woodworking the design side of it it's all about connections and it's hard to get those connections unless you're like introduced and put up into that world Mm -hmm. and so this program specifically 
does that. So that's one of my things is hopefully I get the connection so that there's people out there mm -hmm. then who will buy my stuff mm -hmm. that I know of. Um, and then the other piece really is actually to not completely dismantle, but to help break down the barriers or the gatekeeping that can happen for getting into programs like that. Like I'm privileged enough. You know, I have a spouse who makes enough money that we can do this. Like I can stop working. I can go do two year program. It's scary as hell about the idea of not making any money. Um, but I can go do that. And so I want to then come out of that and say, okay, these are the things that I learned. Here's some shortcuts for those of you who can't afford to go to college or this master's program to get into selling your designs and becoming mm -hmm. a designer because outside of the craft of woodworking, the, the industry of design is extremely white and extremely cishet male. Um, and to me, that's a lose for the world. Like there's so many talented designers out there mm -hmm. um, of every different ethnicity and gender and, um, you know, sexual orientation, all of that, that we need to broaden the world of design. Mm -hmm. whole. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my end goal. I don't know how to accomplish that once I'm done with school, but. <laughs> right. well, okay, step at a time. Um, yeah, <laughs> first, first, get into school and go there. Yeah. And then and yeah. the next steps after that. Yeah. That's interesting. When you use the word design, do you mean um, design for, um, because I think it's the word design is used in two ways, mm -hmm. two completely kind of almost different. One is to think of it as uh, producing a uh, something for mass production, basically. Correct. For, for large, for production. And the other is just kind of like, kind of like what it looks like, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I, I mean, my, my focus, like my singular focus is to have my like studio furniture practice, you know, where mm -hmm. it's like very limited probably nothing is going to be exactly the same because it's still going to be predominantly handmade but looking at like types of like this type of table is what I did make or this type of chair is what I make doing kind of lines like that and mm -hmm. yeah when I'm talking design I'm talking maybe eventually what goes into mass production um, which I want to learn a little bit more about Mm -hmm. This specific program is 3D design as well. So I'll be learning how to integrate, you know, like I'm getting a CNC. So how do I integrate that into my practice to mm -hmm. save time, number one, <laughs> and mm -hmm. become more cost effective, number two. Mm -hmm. well, is it based in the um, college or will you kind of keep your home workshop? Um, it's based in the college, but I, I'll have my home I'll have my home workshop. So I have an advantage over all of these other students who are coming in. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's really exciting. I mean, yeah, if not, if nothing else, one meets a new group of people and, um, you know, it, that's always interesting. Just It will be, it will be the first time too of like, I've never, like, I didn't do art school as my mm -hmm. undergrad at all. So it will be my first time of being like critiqued. Mm -hmm. and um getting feedback like that um mm -hmm. which even if it's negative i'm looking forward to just because i know it will push me to yeah to take my design other ways thing. yeah um i was just so i went to architecture school where crits are a huge part right. of the kind of educational process and uh, i was just talking to a friend of mine who in ireland um he teaches at the school that we we all went to and um we were talking about what crits how they kind of how much how helpful or otherwise they were right <laughs> <laughs> and uh what what they did to us <laughs> which is going to sound scary to you but um, um i think i've heard it all <laughs> people have um got kinder i think in general well at least yes. in that regard um probably uh, since since those days because they were it was kind of like somebody cried every single friday i think um <clears throat> what I've said because I've had plenty of people tell me that like that process is hard and I'm mm -hmm. expecting it to be hard but I've also spent almost 20 years in manufacturing environments um, which as the only like you know queer woman in that space we'll just say was not kind to me mm 
nine times out of 10. So I feel like I've grown a thick skin and can also mm-hmm. understand when feedback is based off of somebody's, um, I don't know, emotional yeah, state at that time. To do with them. Yeah. yeah, it has so, to do with them or if it has to actually, you know, I take what I want, basically, we'll put it that way, right. out of yeah, the feedback, that's, out that's of the feedback. Good start. I, I, so <laughs> I think somebody told me like way back in those days, um, you know, crit, uh, crit is short for critique, not for criticism. And um, I think thinking of it in that sense of like, this is a discussion that has arisen because of what, I've, what I'm showing you. And in, you know, it's, it, it kind of depersonalizes it a little bit, not, not, not wholly, but um, right. you think of it as I've put something up there that is generating this discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, separate yourself from the kind of like, I mean, it, it's for sure hard because you've like, you know, Put a lot of work into it but <laughs> right <laughs> at this point it's like a, a thing that's outside of you that then generates a, a discussion right i mean the other i think maybe advantage or disadvantage is i've had at least the last five years where i've attempted to be making my own designed work to sell mm-hmm. when something doesn't sell <laughs> that is telling you a little bit that maybe that's not the right design the right audience the right whatever um mm-hmm. And that's feedback in its own. So, um, you know, sometimes that is hurtful just because I'm like, well, I think it's really cool, but it doesn't mean that other people think it's really cool. Yeah, Yeah. it's it is it's so uh, it's it's all very tricky because, like, maybe yeah, you're not it's not the right people or it's not somehow contextualized. Yeah. Um, you know, like in a different context or a different set of people, it might have a completely, as it were, different meaning, and it might be what hits the mark and then it's chances so um you know some, something hits the mark or whatever, right you, know? <laughs> you don't even know why and then yeah. something you think is equally as interesting just kind of like passes without notice it just doesn't hit the hit the hit people in some way yeah yeah what's uh because we're getting close to the end of our time so what's the big what's some big things or not so big things on your horizon <laughs> um (laughs) well I mean I bought a house and so I'm kind of slowly doing bits and pieces to the house that's kind of exciting um um I don't know I guess I'm thinking that I might take a sabbatical um Mm. in a in a year or two and then I will probably try to that will be a kind of rejuvenation period Mm -hmm. I hope um, in the meantime, I have my head is buzzing with some ideas for cabinets, and uh, there are, I have a lot of things that are kind of generated by past work that I want to kind of like. So that project makes me want to do this one, and that project. <laughs> right. and now I've got like six things that I want to do. Um, so yeah, I've got some. I got some some cabinets that I want to make, and um, I know that's not very. Um, exciting for the outside world um, but it's what keeps me yeah and teaching and um, yeah I, I think that's that's it uh, I in a kind of longer term sense maybe I, having said that I didn't like writing <laughs> I think I do this there's a part of me that also want is interested in um well, I do find writing is a way of putting my thoughts in order. You know, yeah. I just I read like a, one of those like meme things on Instagram the other day that said um, writing isn't isn't to ex- sort of put your thoughts out there. Writing is the, the kind of thought doesn't exist until you've written it down. So it's a way mm-hmm. of like clarifying or getting your the, all the stuff that's going around right. in your head all, all the time, trying to like put it into some sort of order. So I think that writing will form um will be part of everything but what exactly that means I don't know because um like I say my my writing experience <laughs> was not uh not super great um my my um so you know I'll have to find a way that works for me um yeah. whatever that means yeah and I know you and I have talked about you know that outside of this stuff and it's still one of those things that I think is getting closer for me, you know, I'm, I'm now kind of getting a little further in my head of like, no, this is what I want it to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which I think was what was hard for me is, is wrapping my head around like what I want it to look like. And I think essentially I want it to look like a book version of the podcast, but um, mm-hmm. <laughs> of, of just stories, individual stories that I hope will bring inspiration to others or maybe permission to others to just try mm-hmm. um, to do, to make something that they don't think they can make type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just to me there's a lot of power in that um and learning just a tool there's a lot of power um empowerment in that for Mm -hmm. minority groups especially so I think that's going to come eventually um Mm -hmm. hardest part is always writing my part of the my story part of that book and that's what's been holding me up so (laughs) oh really (laughs) someone to interview you then yeah (laughs) <laughs> a sense of a sense of well yeah there there will be me and there will be others um because I don't want it to just be about me I want it to be about this community that exists that if you're outside of it you don't know what it exists so <laughs> right. yeah and I know that you're quite um you kind of like cross the line not cross the line <laughs> um you uh have quite an involvement with the but I, the kind of maker community more Right. yeah yeah oh that, that would be interesting i don't really you know it's something i don't really know that much about um I yeah why really i mean i'm like you there you are you're all like doing great stuff how come i don't really know anything about you all? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that'd be interesting yeah yeah um like i said there's definitely this divide and i don't think maybe to your point it's not necessarily intentional it's just you don't know each other exists um mm-hmm. And so hopefully book or this podcast can help bridge that gap for some people to learn more about the different kind of crafts out there and sides and education available too. Um, you know, cause I think that's a big thing too. It doesn't, to get education doesn't mean you have to go to get like a four-year degree or a two-year degree. Um, you can go to places like a Penland and, you know, take a class or two. Um, and that will get you farther than just a YouTube, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 YouTube is great, but it definitely has its um, limitations. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Laura, I want to give you a chance to let people know how to find you, see your work, your boxes, especially. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, I, uh, uh, yeah. My website's easy because it's my name, lauramaze.com. And then my Instagram is Laura B. Mays. Um, I do not have a middle name. The B is just a makey up thing. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, those are my two main outlets um, for things. Okay, and awesome. And all the other stuff. And yeah. They're the two places I keep up to date. Awesome. Well, thanks for chatting today and letting me put you in the hot seat on a couple things. Of course, yeah, it's fun. all right so again that was laura mays i'll include the links on how you can follow along with her uh, see her latest um, designs and what she's working on in the show notes for today's episode best places to catch that are in the description for the episode on your podcast app or if you're watching this on freeman furnishings uh, youtube channel you can check the description box down below Please follow along, uh, not only with Laura, but also with the podcast at Crafting a Revolution on Instagram, all one word, no spaces, underscores, any of that. So at Crafting a Revolution. Also say hi to your hosts, myself, Katie Freeman at Freeman Furnishings, my co-host, Katie Thompson at Women of Woodworking. Uh, We'd love to hear from all of you who listen. So please say hi. And uh, one last shout out and thanks to Ashley Minnie, who wrote and produced and sang the theme song for the podcast. Thank you so much, Ashley. All right. So I will see you all back here with a brand new episode um, on Wednesday, August 17th. In the meantime, let's go craft a revolution. She, her, fan, they got something they want to say. Solution for-